turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 11, and verse 28. I got re-inspired by an article this week, and so I'm going to continue somewhat in the vein that we were teaching last week. Certainly didn't complete it. There's so much in the Word of God. When you start in an area in a vein, it just continues to grow, and you go from subject to subject. 28th verse of the 11th chapter, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Such a powerful scripture. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your soul. The difference between the rest of the Old Testament, which was a one-day rest, which was only a type of the real rest, which we have now, not so much a rest from physical labor, but a rest in the spiritual side, a rest for our soul. Praise God. Savior, we ask you to help us today as we continue to break the bread of life and bring strength to your children from your word. And I ask you to help us, give us direction in the will of God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Praise God. You may be seated. <clears throat> Take my yoke upon you and learn of me or learn from me. For I am meek and lonely in heart and you shall find rest for your soul. And then he goes on to speak about the labor or the yoke. And there is great lessons in that. They tell me that when you're plowing with oxen, that uh, two things can be done. You plow with two equal oxen if you want to keep a furrow straight in the field because the labor of both oxen is able to keep that going consistently. There's another school of thought, and which was used, that you would take an old oxen that, or an old ox that was well versed in the path of, of cultivation, and then you put a young ox with it, and that young ox then learned from the older ox. So it was that that younger ox would become distracted by things, but the older ox would just keep on walking and complete the furrow and make the paths right. And eventually the younger oxen would learn from the older ox that this is his lot in life, that he was to plow and to work and to labor. When Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me or learn from me, when we yoke up with Jesus, he's the one we learn from. He knows how to keep things straight in our lives. He knows how to help us. And he gave to us his word. I'm so glad today that we do not operate the same way they did in the early Old Testament days where every man did what was right in his own eyes. And we are almost returned to that today in some circles that they really just believe rather than following the biblical times and biblical scriptures that they are set in their mind to do whatever they think is right rather than what the word of the Lord says. Therefore, Churches are dying. Individuals are, are suffering from spiritual malnutrition. Therefore, there is no real true experience with God in their lives. And it's not, it's not me saying it. You can read that church attendance in many circles are down. <clears throat> and young people are turning church and religion off. And I say the reason being that there's no real life in many places today. And it's sad. And I don't say that boastfully or uh, with glee. I'm just telling you that this is the trend that's in our world today. You can read it almost weekly somewhere in an article. So he said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The trouble with our world is they are allowing the burdens and the struggles of life to become so heavy upon individuals uh, because they don't know the release factor. When you put your emergency brake on in your car, and you do not release it, it 
bogs the engine down and it makes it very difficult to move forward when you put it in drive. So it is with life. If you keep the brakes on and the heavy load of life on and you can't move properly, you don't really enjoy church. You don't enjoy the Bible. You don't enjoy the Word of God because the brake is on. The, the, the heavy load of sin and the heavy load of life is upon you. So this scripture is to them who labor mentally under a heavy load of guilt and confusion and sorrow. It's not talking about a weekly, daily, or seventh-day rest. It's talking about a rest from the daily chores of spiritual attacks from the enemy. There is a rest in the house of God. And Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Philippians 2 and 5 said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If you can learn from him, life becomes a whole lot easier. Take my yoke. It is easy. My burden is light. I am the ancient days. I am the ancient one of old time scripture and New Testament scripture. And I'll keep the furrows going straight if you'll just learn from me and stay yoked up with me. And he said, you then will find rest for your soul. I like that. Because we are in spiritual battles in our world. And I know most of you understand what I'm saying about the spiritual battles. It is sometimes a fight to come to church. But the new couple, Adriana, and her husband was listening to gospel singing and getting ready for church. And today they got so excited getting ready for church and they noticed uh, the time was getting away. They said, hey, we got to stop all this and get ready to go to church. We'll continue shouting when we get there. That's the joy of the Lord. That's the thrill of the Holy Ghost. When you can even at home recognize the power and the anointing of Almighty God. When you yoke up with Jesus, you will learn and you will find that he is the great one that's able to pull the heavy load for you. He will be the strong one in your life. And therefore you can find rest for your soul. You're not having to pull the load of sin and confusion. This is not a repose or a rest of the flesh. It is a rest of the soul. The Old Testament is full of types and shadows. So the commandment that the sixth day thou shalt do all thy labor, and the seventh day thou shalt rest from all thy labors, is a type that was brought into the New Testament. It is not today a seventh day rest, but it is a seven day rest for your soul. So I take you back to the Old Testament today and continue in that vein that we were in last week and read from the book of Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 16. It said, Thus saith the Lord, stand you in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. That's such a powerful scripture because everything is modern today. In America, we throw away so much. Our dumps are <clears throat> doing a little remodel, I loaded the trailer down, and and I had carpet, and, and I had uh, padding, and I had mattress, and I had trash, and I go to the gate, and she looks at everything that's in there, and she tells me where I should go. You take this to the recycling. You take this over there. You take that over there, and then the rest of it you take to the dump. And so I did that, and when I drove into the recycling area, there was a whole area of wash machines, refrigerators, and metal. There's a whole area of carpet and, and, uh, and uh, foam padding, and there was a whole area for mattresses and whole area for tires, and, and we throw away so much. It's mound after mound, and they have to have large tractors to move it around because we throw away so much. And yet some of the old things uh, lasted much longer than they last today. There is built-in obsolescence in what you buy today. In fact, the, uh, the phone companies have, have made sure that your phone just uh, can, get, can get burned up with too much gossip. Oh, no, that's not what it was. They get burned up by a lot of problems on the phone and use of the phone. And you have to get a new phone. How many of you still have the original phone that they came out with. You know, the big one that's as big as your head. 
that's, uh, that's when Brother and Sister Bradford were dating, and I was visiting my sister in Las Vegas, and I was walking down the street with this big thing, talking to them in North Dakota. Now you got a little flip phone. How many still has a flip phone? All right, we got some old timers around here. You're, you're fine. Hang on to it. It's a whole lot better to have the old flip phone than the smartphone. And if you don't like a smartphone, get an Android. So obsolescence built into everything. The guy walked in to buy a computer, and while he's walking out the door, the guy said, would you like to upgrade that? Built-in obsolescence, everything. Everything wears out. Your clothes, you know, they've got it where now your shoes are not made with real leather. It's made by recycled plastics and built-in obsolescence. There is no built-in obsolescence in this truth. It's the old paths. Thus saith the Lord, stand you in the ways and ask of the old paths. Ask for the old paths. I thank God that we as apostolics believe in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament. We have not done away with the Old Testament, but it is fulfilled in the New Testament. When you read the Old Testament, you find a fulfillment of everything that's needful and important into the New Testament. In the Old Testament, one of many, many is a lamb that is slain. You go to the New Testament and you find that John is introduced in Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Everything that is of, of help and needful in the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament. So he said, Stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. And so today... We want that which God has given to us. We don't need a new dogma, a new doctrine. We don't need a new church government. We don't need a new ritual. What we have worked and has worked for hundreds of years, and it continues to work today. And the same power that was poured out on the day of Pentecost uh, that was moved on in the Old Testament became in us in the New Testament is still relevant today and is still powerful today. It is not something that's so old that it's decrepit uh, with obsolescence built into it. Oh, no. Uh, we have a scripture that tells us uh, that we should renew what we have in us, uh, and it is renewed day by day. Hallelujah. This is something that is so powerful. You don't have to look for new religions. You don't have to look for some strange God somewhere. You just find Jesus and live for him, and you can live the rest of your life, and rest will be in your soul and victory in your life. Somebody shout hallelujah. So I read this week, and it inspired me again to speak. It said the Pope said the church is too rigid and must come into modern society. Verse 46 told us, Wherein is the good way, and walk therein, and you shall find rest for your soul. But they said, We will not walk therein. So the Catholic Church, and I'm sorry to mention the name, but it's the article that I'm reading, said, Must adopt new approaches to evangelization in a post-Christian West. I want that to seek in because what he is saying as a leader of one of the largest denominations in the world is that we are no longer relevant to society because we are in a post or a after Christian West. He's recognizing that America is no longer Christian. Listen as he says, Pope Francis said in a Christmas message to Vatican officials, we need other maps other paradigms that might help us change our ways of thinking. We are not in Christianity, not anymore. We are no longer under Christian regime because the faith, especially in Europe, but also in much of the West, no longer constitutes an obvious premise of common life. I beg to differ with you, Mr. Pope. We still have something that's very relevant today. We have something that is very good today. 
very powerful today. In fact, we felt it this morning. God visits his people, and we are in his presence today. We don't need to look for new paradigms. We just need to have a renewal. That's why we come to church, have a renewal in God. So he said, on the contrary, it is even often denied, derided, marginalized, and ridiculed, the Pope said. The Pope's remarks echoed those of his predecessors who spoke of a new evangelization to revive the faith of historical Christian lands. Pope Benedict established an office explicitly dedicated to the task of reviving faith. Those popes stressed a need, stressed a need to clarify and reaffirm traditional teachings in response to liberalization and the tendencies within the church and a wider society. By contrast, Pope Francis, he's talked about previous pope. By contrast, Pope Francis has tended to play down such teachings and focus on social causes. Pope Francis on Saturday said the secularization of the West necessarily entails changes to the Vatican's offices of doctrine and evangelization. He struck a similar note only in his years, this year's speech when warning against the attitude of rigidity, being rigid. And then he says this, and this is what got me fired up. Rigidity arises from fear of change and ends up strewing the ground of the common good with stakes and obstacles and turning it into a minefield of lack of communication and hatred. Let's remember always that behind every rigidity lies some derangement. Listen closely as the mother church, not the church, but the mother worldly church, speaks what follows in their doctrines affects all of our daughters. Now, I read that because it fired me up. We are an apostolic church. I told the men a year or so ago in one of our meetings that we're not searching for new doctrines. We're just fighting for the old paths. We're looking for what Christ said in fulfillment of what the Old Testament gave to us. And I know it can almost be ho-hum to some to think that we need to follow the old paths. But I'm here to tell you, new doctrinal issues that are not biblical have no place in the church today. The Bible is relevant for every society and every people, and it meets the needs of every people. It has met the needs of people for generations, and I come to tell you today and establish the fact that the cross still means the same as it always meant, and the blood still means the same as it always meant, and the name still means the same as it always meant, and the one who died for us still means the same as he's always meant. The church is alive, and the church is real. The world may go their direction, but we're looking for the old paths, wherein you can find rest for your soul. You know why? This man is talking the way he's talking. They're leaving. They're not attending. There's no rest for their soul. It's a depressive thing to go, that you have to do certain penances uh, in repentance. Uh, I'm here to tell you, you don't have to do anything but say, Jesus, forgive me. You don't have to rub beads. You don't have to fit stand in front of a statue. You have Christ with you every day. He's alive and well. And we worship him. And nobody, the song said, is going to worship him for me. I'm going to lift my hands for myself. I'm going to worship his name for myself. I'm going to give him honor for myself. I came to give him praise because I love him myself today. Hallelujah. So the scripture went on to say, and let me just make sure that you catch it. When he said, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old past. Verse 46 said, wherein is the good way, and walk therein, and you shall find rest for your soul. But that last phrase is what is, should be taught today and understood. When he gave them hope, and he told them of the old paths, he said, 
they said. Who are they? Anywhere it fits. They said, we're not going to walk therein. What an indictment. I came today to tell you, I love everything about God. I love everything about church. I love everything about the people of God. I love everything about the blood of Jesus. I love everything about the word of God. I love everything about the spirit of God. I love everything about worshiping God. I'm going to walk in the old paths. I'm not going to reject the rest for my soul. For when you say, I will not walk therein, you're rejecting the rest for your soul. Some of us go through battles and temptations and failures or whatever happens in life. But I'm telling you, when you go through it and you yoke up with Jesus, it's a whole lot easier to walk in the paths that God has ordained than to walk in the worldly paths. They'll tell you it's all right because alcoholism is a disease. They'll tell you it's all right to have problems with society because that's the way it is. And some religions, as I've read to you, is saying we've got to change our direction. I'll tell you why they have to change their direction. In the third century, they made some decrees that are still in the Nicene Creed and the Antiochian decree, uh, uh, decree. And they said things that they left from the original truths of the apostles. And so they've gone so far that now they're saying, hey, we gotta change. The trouble is, they're not gonna change for the better. They're changing to flow with society. Society can never be healed. If an alcoholic goes to an alcoholic and says, you need to stop drinking. Now, I, I can handle it, but you can't. A drug addict goes to a drug addict and says, you need to quit taking drugs. I can handle it, but you can't. They need to come to an apostolic church where we say, Jesus says, you don't need to handle all of that. I died that you could have deliverance. I died that you could have victory. Somebody ought to shout amen. So the church in the world that almost all religions sometimes follow, no requirement, just give your money, do what they tell you to do at times, but no requirements of life, and they're still beat down and destroyed and walk away from God. Those who refuse to walk in the rest is refusing the New Testament plan of salvation. Let me take you to the book of Isaiah, chapter 28, and verse number 9. Who shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept. Line upon line. Here a little and there a little. This is the format of doctrinal truths. Who are you going to teach knowledge to? Who are you going to help to understand doctrine? That's such a bad word in some areas. One of the largest churches in Texas said, we're not going to bog ourselves down with doctrine. We want to uplift people. Well, the trouble is they're not uplifted. I'll tell you what uplifts somebody. That's the power of God. It's not my teaching alone, not Pastor Bradford teaching alone. It's what you adhere to the gospel of Jesus Christ about. It's the doctrine that helps you. And he said, who shall we make to understand doctrine? To understand doctrine, it must be for those that are willing to grow up and break away from the pacifier of life and get away from just the little bit of milk but get into the meat of God's word and understand the power of God's word. It's not, oh, I understand new converts. We have new converts courses. We have discipleship courses. We want to help everybody grow. But when the scripture said that milk is for babes, but meat is for those that are well-aged. And so it comes a time and a process. But here's the basis of doctrine. Here's the basis of understanding doctrine. That precept or principle 
or doctrine, however you want to call it, must be upon precept, precept upon precept. In other words, the book of Genesis uh, does not disagree with the book of Revelations. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy does not disagree with the Gospels in the New Testament. It's precept. There may be words and phrases and there may be some of the things that are fulfilled, but it's built upon the type of the Old Testament and the fulfillment of the New Testament. It is precept upon precept. And then it's line upon line. We can start anywhere in the Bible and teach every doctrine that we teach because our doctrine is not based on one scripture. Our doctrine is based upon line upon line. It's precept upon precept, and it's here a little and there a little. You can pick something out of the Old Testament and fulfill it in the New Testament. You cannot take something in the Old Testament that is not fulfilled in the New Testament and make a doctrine out of it. It's got to be here a little and there a little. There's a little bit of doctrine in the Old Testament. There's a little bit of doctrine in the New Testament, and it completes the doctrine with type and the fulfillment of that. And that's how doctrine is established. Those that study the word of God only to establish the dogma of their church or to find a reason for why they said something are not following the doctrines of the Bible. I don't state something and then go to the Bible to try to find some solution to it in the Old Testament. I take the Old Testament, bring it to the New Testament, find the fulfillment of it, and then believe it. It's not my words, it's not my doctrine, it's not my teaching. It's the teaching of the word of God, and it's God's word, and it's anointed. Oh, hallelujah. Don't you love the Bible? Yeah. Hallelujah. Nahum spoke a long time ago. He said, what I see way down the line, I see them jostling in the streets and running like chariots. You know what he saw? He saw Highway Interstate 5. Yesterday or Friday, there were four major jostling in the streets, deaths incurred, because Nahum saw way down the line that there would be crashes of chariots in the streets. He didn't know what a Ford was. Some of you need to forget. Buy a GMC. Just kidding. Don't throw rocks or tomatoes. Just kidding. He didn't know what a Ford was. He didn't know what a GMC was. He didn't know what a Cadillac was. He just knew what a chariot was. And when he looked down in prophecy, he said, oh, what I see down there, a whole lot of jostling in the streets, uh, and the chariots are crashing among one another. My, and today we see it happening. All those Old Testament scriptures bring into the New Testament something for us to understand. And so I'm trying to help you understand that the teachings and the doctrines that you must learn and be established in is precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. That's why when we preach and teach around here, you will notice that we don't just read a text and go off on that one scripture. That's what old men do. They read their text and wander. They never die. They just read their text and wander. Not there yet. I told Brother Bradford when I ever get to that place, be sure and shut me down. But now I got a little life left in me. But if he told me to sit down, I'd sit down. There's a little life still in us today because we believe the word of God that is based upon his word and is put together as holy men of old were moved on by the spirit of God to write unto us what we need today. We don't need a new book or a new revelation. We need to hold on to what we have. Oh, hallelujah. And guard what God has given to us. Praise God. So he went on to say after verse 10 that precept must be upon precept and line upon line and here a little. He said these words, listen as verse number 11 goes on. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people to whom he said, this is the rest. Those that said, and I read the scripture, I won't go back to it, but those that said, we will not walk therein, 
They're refusing the rest for their soul. Now Isaiah comes along and he said, with stammering lips and another tongue, will I speak to this people to whom he said, this is the rest. This is the refreshing. This is where it's happening. Oh, hallelujah. This is the refreshing. And then he added a phrase that goes along with the previous scripture I read. Yet they would not here, two places in the Old Testament I've read to you where they would not walk therein and they would not hear. I just want to state today that doctrine is not a bondage. Doctrine is not rigid, rigidity. Doctrine is not so rigid that you can't comply or live with it. Doctrine brings to you rest for your soul. Doctrine brings to you deliverance from your addiction. Doctrine brings to you a power of delivering your spirit from the torments of the devil. I'm here to tell the devil he has no place in us. We have the Holy Ghost uh, and we're not for sale and we have no room. We have no room in our heart for the world. We have room for Jesus and his word. We have room for the Holy Ghost and the power of the almighty God. I think it'd be all right just to lift your hands and worship God right now. You can find rest in his word. You can find rest in his soul. But the word was unto them. This is verse 13, the same chapter. But the word of the Lord was unto them upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. That's the biblical doctrine established here a little and there a little that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. I only state to you today that doctrine will never confuse you if you let the word of God explain to you what the Bible teaches and what Jesus wants for us. Don't be taken by those that says it doesn't matter what Paul said. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. We're in a different world. We're in a different day. Don't listen to them. They're the ones that fall backward. They're broken, snared, and they're taken in by it all. I just want to say how happy I am that we have the freedom to be what we are today. We're not in bondage. We're not bound by what Jesus wants for us. We're not bound by the things of the world. We're here today because we have the liberty of the Lord, the liberty of his spirit, the power of his presence and spirit. And I love it. How about you? I love it. You're not doing what you're doing in life because we said so. You're not doing what Brother Bradford said because he said that's the law of the house. I tell you what the law of the house is. It's God's word. It's not our dogma. It's not our doctrine, although Paul did call it his doctrine, and we know what he meant by that. He took ownership of that doctrine. It became a part of his life, a part of his makeup, a part of his daily walk, and it became his, but we didn't originate with it. It came from the Lord. And so I give you this next scripture because it's so beautiful and so powerful from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32 and verse number 2. This is an Old Testament scripture that said, My doctrine shall drop as the rain, and my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass. That's what his doctrine is. So the world today says, I don't want doctrine. I don't want doctrine taught. It's too, it's too offensive. It's too hard. They don't know the refreshing rain. We talked to somebody today about Brother Yurko. Brother Yurko has a little trouble with dust in the air. And talking about this wind and it makes those with asthma and different things a little harder to breathe. But thank God for the rain that comes and settles all those particles in the air. That's what happens when you teach doctrine. It drops as the rain, and the speech of God comes as the distilling of the dew, and it settles all the adverse particles of the air and brings to you life and liberty. I don't come to present some new doctrine to you. I come to tell you that what the Old Testament taught is fulfilled in the New Testament. I take you to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. But thou, Paul writes to Timothy, said, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, 
and manner of life, my purpose, my faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience. His doctrine was not rigidity. It was not rigid. It was a manner of life. It had purpose to it. It had faith involved in it. It had long-suffering in it. We wait on people to get a hold of God's word. We try not to jam things down people's throat. And let me just say this while I'm at it, church. Be careful the way you talk to new converts. Don't try to make them what you are. I have 70 years of I.H. Terry in me. I can say like Pelosi said, don't mess with me with words. <laughs> I have 70 years of doctrine in me. But that doesn't mean Matthew coming along, been here two years, that we try to cram something down his throat. We're, we're changing a little bit up here in front, and the men that don't want to sit up in front, we're letting them sit back with Brother Jim, and Jim can corral him wherever he is. There he is. But Matthew says, I want to sit in the front. Brother Frutos wants to sit in the front. Well, we're going to move you back, too, and put some young people up there so they can get a hold of what you got a hold of. But what's beautiful about it, you've been here about two years. And this church loves you, Matthew, because you're still poor in spirit. Every time we ask for somebody to come for prayer, you're one of the first ones there because you want more. I love it. Don't you love it? Don't you love it? With Yeah, I don't know all his history, and I don't want you to know all his history. It's none of our business, all his history. But try, don't try to make him me with 70 years in this church. Don't, don't, don't get so excited. I'm not that old to die yet. Chad was, Chad was looking at some of my knives one day when he was just a little tad of a boy. And, and I was promising him that whenever I die that he could have some of my knives. And he says, well, Papa, when are you going to die? Peyton came up to me the other day and said, Papa, you know that little bar bottle of Welch's grape juice in your room? He said, when you die, where does that go? <laughs> well, I went out to Hillcrest with a banana peel step, but it didn't work. I'm still here. Grandkids are great, aren't they? I wish they'd start praying for me to live. <laughs> oh, the beauty of it is they knew the value of those things. And so that's a beautiful illustration that I can do whatever I want with those things as long as I live. So I had to tell Peyton, that's already spoken for. Somebody already gets it. Boy, it got quiet. You know who gets it? Your mom and daddy. He's no good, and that means I get it. <laughs> now, it's fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, faith, long-suffering. Old Testament said, my doctrine drops as the rain and distills like the dew. Man, that, that just does something to me because I love doctrine. I love God's doctrine. I don't love the dogmas of churches. I love God's dogma, God's doctrine. And so I'm trying to help you all understand today that though this church is 77 years old, we've had three pastors in 77 years. God has been good to us. We're not going to do anything to destroy that. Because this church is more important than me, you, the world, or anything else. Because somebody, today, tonight, Tuesday night, prayer meeting somewhere, somebody's going to walk through those doors and say, I'm so sick of religion, I want some truth. I'm so tired of people boasting about what they are and what they do. I want to hear what Christ has done. Can we keep the church the church 
Can we keep doctrine, the biblical doctrine that it is? Can we keep what God has given to us and provided for us? I say, yes, we're going to do it. So I just briefly go back to the rest of the Old Testament. It was a one-day rest, and Paul speaks about that in the New Testament, and he speaks in Romans chapter 14 and verse 5, one man esteems one day above another day, and another esteems every day alike. Let every man be persuaded in his own mind. If you like Tuesday night service, be here. If you like Sunday morning service, be here. If you like Sunday night service, be here. If you like to be saved, be here at all three. <laughs> he did say, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And so much the more as you see that day approaching. So we're a church. We love church. We're a great big family. We're not all related. We're not, but we are all connected. And this is a great family of God. I must go on. I must hurry. Let me go on. He went on to say, every man lives to himself. No man lives unto himself, he said, rather. But whether we live or whether we live unto the Lord, whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Galatians, Paul goes on to speak of the same thing and said, you observe days and months and times and years. He said, I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. I merely interjected that because there are some in our world today that teach a seventh-day rest is still important today. I say a seven-day rest is what's important today. Every day we have rest of our soul. You can bow by your bed. You can walk by your garden. You can drive in your car. And there is rest in the Lord. There's peace in the Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. Did I lose anybody? Did anybody go to lunch? Was that growling I hear? So I take you to my closing remarks to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. I began with this scripture a week ago. Verse number 1, let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not <coughs> profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Another phrase of we will not walk therein, we will not hear it, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it, he said. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath. You see, they had the seventh day rest, but they didn't have a seven day rest. They didn't have a rest from their guilt, their spiritual labor, or their despair, their fear, their anxiety, their fear, their, their confusion. As I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. In other words, in the Old Testament, when he talked about a seventh-day rest, did not give them what he really wanted them to have, and they really didn't enter into it. Some must enter into it yet, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Don't say, as the Old Testament scripture, we will not hear it and we're not going to walk in it. Don't harden your hearts. And then at verse 8, said, for if Jesus, now this scripture, for if Jesus had given them rest, they would not have afterwards spoken of another day. That word Jesus there is really Joshua, Jeheshua, Old Testament, Jehovah. When you read Isaiah chapter 12, I won't take time to read it all, but it said, 
Jehovah has become our salvation. So if Jehovah had given them rest in the Old Testament, he would not have afterwards spoken of another day. Verse 9, I love, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, for he that has entered into his rest, he also, I love this, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. See the fulfillment of this? So when somebody gets to talking about the seventh day and going back to not eating pork and, and doing all this and that under the law, those things were all fulfilled in the New Testament. In fact, one writer, Paul, said those ordinances were done away with. We still have the Ten Commandments, uh, but it's fulfilled. He didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. All of this helps you understand when somebody tries to box you in. To, oh, you got to stop one day a week and recognize God. I come back and say, oh, I got you beat. I recognize him seven days a week. I love him and worship him seven days a week. I love to worship him seven days a week. And then he went on to say, verse 11, let us, let us labor. It's not our works. We already read that scripture if you caught it. It's not our works. But let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Oh, I could preach this for a while. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fail after the same example of unbelief. I must stop long enough to tell you, so many churches today and so many people don't want you to pray until you get an experience with God. They don't like to take the hankies, and they don't like through all of that. Repentance is a death. It's a struggle. That's why we have a two-box service. Sometimes a four-box service. Tissues everywhere. Because we're letting somebody go through the process of death, repentance, for their sorrows of yesterday. And God comes in and picks them up wrapped his arms around them and said, I'm not charging you for that. You were my child and I love you. I'm glad to forgive you and wash you. And waters of baptism, you repent of your sins and you go to the, dead, the burial place. This is the death, the burial, and the resurrection as was spoken about. You die at an altar of repentance. You die out and it's a labor sometimes because some people don't want to give up some of the things of the past. I don't want to get graphic, but I've been with about 200 funerals, been with a lot of them, and they passed. And sometimes those without God have a real struggle with life. The worst death I ever experienced was my own sister. She loved her addiction. Till the last few years, the last few months of her life, she came to me and can't get rid of this. Here's boxes of cures and all kinds of things that I can't get rid of it. In her passing, I had to beg the doctor to give her something because the labor of dying was so cruel. So I understand what he's saying. Let us therefore labor the process of dying out to the world and the things of the world getting rid of the past. It's a labor sometimes, and it's not always that traumatic, I understand. But one day, when you get up from an altar of repentance and you feel so victorious and so light and so wonderful and so clean, I can't do that for you. That's something you have to do for yourself. But I'll tell you one thing we can do. We can lead you from the place of death to the place of burial. And we can bury all of that past 
in the death of Jesus Christ. That's why we use his name in baptism. He's the one that died for us, and he told us to use his name. So we baptize you into his name. That name identifies you with Calvary, the cross of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. And you rise out of that watery grave to walk in newness of life. That's what we can do. You can do that. We can do that. The rest of it I can't do for you either. That's to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I came to tell you today, my God can though. You do what you can do. We'll do what we can do. And God will do the rest. He'll fill you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. uh, And you will have the joy of life and the thrill of all eternity. Stand with me and just shout with victory. And love the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, He's able. He's here. He's full of life. He's full of strength. Uh, Our lesson is labor to enter into that rest. Put forth the effort to tarry and tell. You be endued with power from on high, lest any of you come up short. We're not going to let anybody come up short. Money doesn't buy your way into this church. Name recognition doesn't buy your way into this church. What buys your way into this church was paid for at Calvary. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody that feels like I feel right now, could you just thank him? Could you just thank him for Calvary? Don't worry about somebody beside you that's not saying it. If you just thank him, somebody else will thank him. Just thank him for Calvary. Thank him for the power of his blood. Well, hallelujah. Well, hallelujah. Well, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lest any of you come short of it. Lest any of you just come to an edge and stop. Well, we're not going to pray with you because it's too hard, too hard to pray with you. No, no, no. We sometimes stay around here at 11 or 12 o'clock at night praying with somebody that wants to pray because it is a labor, but it's a victorious labor. And as we sing, part of Calvary was the healing blood of Jesus. And if you need healing in your body, you can step forward tonight. The elders of the church will pray for you. Jesus is in this building.